I am successful. Greedy. Greedy. I am confident. Weak. Weak. I am beautiful. Envious. Envious. I am victorious. Broken. Broken. I am happy. We can hide behind almost anything and pretend to be fine. But no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, when the mask is torn off, we're all messed up. We're freaking messed up. Hey, good morning. Uh, just a couple things before I, before I get into my talk today. I want to say thanks to all of you who vo- volunteered. I just looked at a stack of cards that thick from you guys volunteering last week, and I love New Spring Week. Thank you for being here and for volunteering. And then, and then on top of that, if you, if you didn't volunteer last week, maybe you didn't get to be here, whatever, New Spring is just thriving on volunteers, so there's still time for you to volunteer for one of the phenomenal ministries here if you're a New Springer. And secondly, um, I know we're crowded at 11 o'clock. I just want to let you know that next week, week, we're doing something to make things just a little easier. This service will begin at 11.15, and the good news on top of that is the previous service begins at 9.30, so they're, they're actually you get an extra hour and 15 minutes if you want to try an earlier service that might not be as crowded as 11 o'clock, so uh, an hour from the time change and 15 minutes from us. So just want to let you know about that. Saturday night also, phenomenal service, 6 o'clock. All three of our services are the same, theoretically anyway, because we never know exactly what's going to happen, but we're pretty close. So I just want to let you know about that coming up next week. This will be at 11.15 instead of 11. I know it's crowded getting into parking, and then we're building our building, and I know that it's a challenge to get your kids checked in and kids' world. Please just be patient with us. We're about two months away maybe from having a phenomenal building, and uh, so we're really excited about that. Okay, let's talk about freaking messed up. Um, I, I know what some of you are probably thinking, you know. I remember reading a story a long time ago about a guy who was in seminary. Seminaries where they train people to be pastors and missionaries and so on. And so this homiletics professor had, in, had instructed all of his young students to write a sermon and turn it in for a grade. So this one boy worked pretty hard on the message. He turned it in, and when he got it back, he got a D minus. He didn't think it was fair. So he went to the professor and said, Prof, I don't understand. I worked really hard on this message, this sermon. Why did you give me a D minus? And the old professor stared down his glasses, and he said, well, son, he said, your exegesis, that's just like your study of the Bible. He said, your exegesis is sound, and your points show balance and progression, and your illustrations are timely. And when the kid said, well, well, sir, if all that stuff was good, why did you give me a D minus? He said, well, frankly, son, it's your title. He said, I I just don't imagine that people would go to your church and hear a sermon called the pericopes of St. Paul in in relationship to the eschatology of Jesus. Just don't. So the boy said, well, well, could could, could I have another chance of the title? Then if the sermon's okay, could I have another chance of the title? And the professor said, tell you what, take this sermon home, rework it, bring it back tomorrow morning, and here's the test that I want you to employ. I want you to imagine that the title of your sermon is on your sign outside the church. And along comes a tour bus full of people. And they read the title of your sermon. And they throw the brakes onto the bus. And everybody runs out of the bus and into your church. I want you to have a title that causes people to rush off the bus and run in. Well, the next morning he turned in the sermon with this title. 
your bus has a bomb on it. <laughs> so I, I know what you're thinking, maybe. So you're thinking, Mark wanted to juice up a series, and he came up with title freaking messed up. Not this time. Not this time. This goes back several years for me. I was, I was talking to a young guy who was trying to tell me about his life and asked me for my help. And he, he started talking about a series of wrong turns and the complexity that he was facing at that moment. And I can still see him in my eyes. He said, uh, this is how it happened. And he started telling me the story, but he reached a place where it was so complex that his voice trailed off. And he backed up and he tried to tell me again. And he was talking about relationships and jobs, and finally he just got to the place where, he, even in telling me the story, he, he just couldn't see any way out, and his voice trailed off. And then he tried a third time to tell me about his life. And then he put his face in his hands, and he said, I'm just freaking messed up. Now I thought about that. What would be the difference between being freaking messed up and you're just garden variety messed up? If you have just garden variety mess up in your life, it's stuff that isn't right, but it's pretty simple. You know what's broken. You know how to fix it. And you just fix it and you go on. But all of us can come to a place where life is just so complicated. There have been so many wrong turns and so many bad relationships and so many unhealthy steps and so many, I wish I did this or I could have done that or should have done that. There's just so much complexity that we just like, like the young man, we may not put our face in our hands, but that's the idea. I'm just freaking messed up. And I grew up in church and I've been in a lot of churches. One thing I've discovered, and this is the reason why, and thankfully this isn't the way it is at New Spring, but I do think this is the reason why a lot of people on the outside don't want to go to church is they know that the people on the inside, many of them are freaking messed up, but they're just wearing a mask. They have a side of them that's for public consumption. And it's like, I'm all right, I'm fine, I've got everything going on. But at home, when nobody else is looking, when all the shades are down, they know that they have all this dysfunction in their lives. And it could be that already, and I know that I'm not anywhere close to the end of my message today, but it could be that somebody is saying, well, Mark, you've already got me. That's where I am. I am freaking messed up. I I, I identify with that young guy you were talking about. There's just so much complication in my life. I don't know the way home anymore. I hate it when ministers do this, but I'm going to do it. I want to ask all of you to do something for a moment. Would you just take a deep breath and let it out? The reason I have you do that is if you're breathing, there's hope. As long as you have life, there's hope. But you see, there's a God who loves you. There is a God who is so powerful that he created the universe. He wrote the original code for DNA. He is, the, he is a massive God, and his abilities are far greater than we can ever begin to imagine or dream. And God deals in hope. In fact, the Bible says God is love. Another place, the Bible says God is light. In him, is, there's, there's no darkness. 
God loves you and he wants to illuminate your path. And if you're freaking messed up today, God wants to go, go to work in your life and my life and, and help us get past that point. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say something, though. From the very beginning, I want to give you a scripture verse that I think is hugely important. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, God is talking about people who are freaking messed up because the first line of the verse says, but even there. See, I think there is a, there's a, a part of us that says, well, if my life is kind of messed up at this level, God can still help me. But God is saying, no, 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 no. Even there, even if this message finds you messed up today, even there, if you seek God, your God, you'll be able to find him, if you're serious, looking for him with your whole heart and soul. Now, the reason why I want to give you that verse at the beginning and not the end of the message is I, I just want to emphasize that thing. If you're freaking messed up today and you say, I need God in my life, but I'm going to pick him up on my way to Dylan's, you know, I'm just going to kind of like add God to the voices. And maybe if I like what he has to say, who knows? I may give him a, a listen. No, God is saying, no, 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 no. It, it, God will help you, but you got to be serious about it to the extent that you sell out for him. Lock, stock, and barrel. You're saying, okay, God, I've tried it my way. I've tried it other people's way, but this time I'm going to try it your way. And God is saying, okay, if you do that, I will help you. And that's what this series is all about. It's about people who are freaking messed up finding the way home. Well, in my talk today, I want to just spend some time asking, how do we get messed up? How do we get to that place? And I want to go to a book in the Bible that the title really doesn't communicate what the book is about. I mean, if there was, when I think about freaking messed up, I instantly think about this book in the Bible. It is a book of stories. Well, if, it, if these stories were made into a movie, the movie would be at least rated R, if not NC-17. There are stories in this book that I would have a hard time standing on stage and communicating to you. I mean, when I read the book of Judges, I just want to shrink back and say, surely that couldn't happen. Because the people in Judges were freaking messed up. And by the way, these are not pagans. These are people from Israel. You know, in the Old Testament, God chose Israel to be his people, and he put special blessings upon them, was in a covenant relationship with them. We're talking about God's people, and they were totally messed up. What was going on was kind of a crazy cycle. They would rebel against God. They would do what they wanted to do. They would serve idols. They would get into really unhealthy sex practices. They were disobeying God. They were just going wild. And God would allow a foreign power to overcome them. And they would suffer under this foreign power. And then then when they suffered... They would remember God, and they would ask God for help, and God would give them a judge or a deliverer, a man or a woman, who would lead them against their enemies. And then God would give them success, and they would have peace for a while. And then when they had peace, guess, guess what they did? They would forget about God again. They'd start sleeping around. They would start messing around. They would start living in unhealthy and sinful ways, and God would let them go into captivity again. And then they would ask God for help. God would send them a judge. They would have peace. They would go back to the same old, same old thing. Now, the reason why I make this point and we go to judges today is here's the thing. If you and I are freaking messed up, we need to understand that part of the issue is what's going on around us. And part of it is what's going on inside of us. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to our character today. He is living in the time of the judges. But before we get there, I want you to see what caused the culture around them to be so messed up. In the last chapter of Judges, in the last verse, this is the very last verse in the book, it is as if God is trying to explain to us all the horrific stuff we've just read about, all the gratuitous violence, 
all the strange and weird sex that takes place in the book of Judges. It's like God is saying, this is why it all came down this way. And I want to read this to you. It's in Judges 21, verse 25. The Bible says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In our cover song right before the message, what was the lyric of the song? I just want to be happy. I don't care if I suffer pain. I just want to be happy. That was the mantra of the time in Judges. I just want to be happy. I don't care if I cause pain to other people. I don't care if I suffer pain or whatever. I just want to be happy. And the people did whatever they thought was right. I say that because if I ever found America in the Bible, I think it would be in the book of Judges. And I know what I'm going to say in the next 90 seconds is not politically correct. But man, we need to hear it. I mean, am I, is it just me or do you see the wheels falling off out there? We're supposed to be an evolved society, you know? And yet we can't hold relationships together and there's just so much dysfunction out there. You know why that is? It's because we live in an age where it's whatever's right to you is right. Whatever's right to me is right. And that's what God said messed these people up. There, there was no standard of right and wrong. And everybody just did what was right in their own sight. And that sounds like tolerance and it sounds positive until you have to actually live in that environment. Isn't it true today that pretty much anything anyone wants to do, we say, well, it's right for them. I mean, haven't you like had a conversation about a, a friend who's doing something that's really damaging and you can see that she's about to really suffer for it and really about to mess up her life and you're talking to another friend, you're saying, I'm worried about her and that friend stops and bristles and says, well, why do you have any right to judge her life? Because after all, it may be right for her. We wouldn't use that standard in any other part of our lives. For instance... Let's decide, that, let's figure out for a moment that we decide in Wichita we're going to get rid of those nasty signs that inhibit our progress. There shouldn't be any speed limit signs. Why, why should I have to drive 60? My, my speedometer says I can go 155 miles an hour. So who knows? 60 may be right for some people, but it's not right for me. I can't drive 55. I, I just... You know, I, I just think I should be able to drive whatever I want to drive. Now, I'll be honest with you. That does sound good. I'm liking that personally. <laughs> I, I would like it fine until somebody, you know, driving 120 miles an hour ran over my family. See. Oh, let's oh, at speed, at school zones, aren't they a hassle? 20 miles an hour? Who knows? I mean, after all, why is that right for everybody? There are people driving through that area that don't, their kids are all grown up. Why should they have to obey school zones? <laughs> don't you just hate red lights? Oh. I was driving last night. I felt like I got trapped. Every, every time I'd come to an intersection, red, red, red. And I'm mad at whoever timed those lights. And if you're here, I'm sorry. But... Uh, <laughs> Something said, why, why all these stop signs? They're, they're not tolerant. The stop signs, people, people shouldn't have, people should, their, their, their psyche should be such that they shouldn't feel that their progress is impeded. Let's just take all the stop signs out and all the stop lights out because after all, it may be right for somebody to stop entering this intersection for the car behind that driver. It might not be right for him. Now we're laughing because that would be insane to do that. But all of a sudden, it's okay when it comes to morality. It's right for her. might not be right for me. Who's to say? 
I don't want to judge. And really, we shouldn't judge. But God has made some judgments. And God says that the reason why the people in Judges were so whack, why they were so messed up, God was saying, there was no standard. And everybody just did what was right in their own sight. And after a while, the nation just sunk into a quagmire. Our guy, Samson, lived during those times like you and I live in those times. And Samson was an interesting guy. And for those of you who may have grown up in church and heard the story of Samson, you know, you may have an idea in your mind that Samson was this huge bodybuilder, weightlifter kind of guy, mega strong, because we know that he did extraordinary things. But personally, I don't know that Samson looked any different than anybody else. My gut says that Samson looked pretty ordinary. But what happened was God called him, God raised him up to be a judge. In fact, God planned him out before he was born, and God went to his parents, and then he said, your son's going to be different. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be different. I'm going to use him to be a deliverer, and there's some special instructions about him. And God said, here's the first deal. You know, God said, I don't want him to drink wine or, or spirits or that kind of thing, because God said, I want him to be separate, and I want him to be different, and I want him to even look different. And God said, I don't want you to ever give him a haircut. <laughs> so Samson wore his hair in dreads. I mean, he just never had a haircut. And God said he's going to do unusual things. And, and I remember, you know, he was, like, was kind of like the Terminator. You know, if you remember that from classic Hollywood, remember the Terminator was half cyborg, you know, he was cyborg, he was half mechanical and half human. Samson kind of operated in two worlds. There was a side of him that was synced up with what God wanted him to do in his life, but there was also a side of Samson in which he was doing what he wanted to do. And so all throughout his life, he had these issues. And I'm telling you, if there ever was a guy in the Bible who was freaking messed up, it was Samson. There was a part of him that wanted to follow God. There was a part of him that wanted to do what he wanted to do. But God did unusual things through him. The Bible says that God's Holy Spirit would come on Samson, and suddenly he would have an energy and a power that was beyond his own capabilities, and he would do these incredible things. For instance, the Bible says there was one time he was accosted by a lion. Samson grabbed the top jaw of the lion with one hand and bottom jaw with the other hand. He ripped the lion apart. That wouldn't make Peter happy, but he did it. And then the Bible says one time he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and he killed hundreds of Philistines with it. That'll ne- a jawbone of a donkey will never be in Jane's catalog of military hardware. But it, it was God that was doing it, not him. But Samson had issues. How many of us are God followers, but we have issues? We got one foot in God's world and one foot in a totally different world. And that was Samson. Hey, think about this realistically and think about it metaphorically. Samson started looking at Philistine women. You see, the thing about it was the Philistines were the enemy. And if you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. They were ferocious people. They lived in five cities along the coastline. They were big. They were strong. They were using sophisticated weaponry. And it was at this time that this was the particular people group that were oppressing the Israelites, God's people that were in the crazy cycle. And so God raised Samson up to do what? To defeat the Philistines. But Samson's over out checking out the Philistine babes. And in the process, he decides he likes them. They're hotter than the women where he came from. And the next thing you know, you got God's champion sleeping with the enemy. But at first, he wants to do it the right way. He sees this Philistine woman, she's hot, and he says, You know what? I know I shouldn't be hanging around with her. She's the enemy. She hates God. She has no part of my life. She's, you know, her people are oppressing my people. 
But after all, she's hot, and I want her. But I'm a God follower, so you know what? I'm going to do it the right way. We're going to get married. And so Samson asked her to marry him. The only problem was, and here's the metaphorical aspect of this, because you and I are not dealing with the Philistines. We're dealing with a person the Bible calls Satan, our enemy, our spirit enemy. And he's not the weird caricature that you see in art. He is a sophisticated angel. He's a fallen angel. God created him to lead worship in heaven, but he fell and he rebelled against God, and now he leads a group of angels that the Bible calls demons. And we have these weird, odd ideas of Satan and the demons, but they're just very sophisticated spirit beings. And and that's the world that you and I live in, and we deal with their influence. And think about what what the the deal with, with Samson he was sleeping with the enemy, and the enemy exploited his appetites. The Philistines went to this gal that was marrying Samson, and basically they intimidated her into betraying Samson. And now Samson goes through the hurt of that broken relationship. He thought that she was a lifelong love, but he found out later on she was selling him out to his enemies, and he got angry. And he whipped up a bunch of Philistines, but it was a real mess up in his life. Samson's got a problem now with Philistine women because the next time we find him, he's like slipped. He's not marrying one. We find him in the house of a Philistine hooker. I mean, this is God's guy. This is God's champion. This is the one that God set up to be the deliverer, the judge. And yet we're embarrassed because we find the man in the house of this hooker, this Philistine hooker. And he now, he's not talking about getting married anymore. He's just paying money. And like I said, the enemy is exploiting his appetite. The Philistine warriors are waiting for him at the city gate when he comes out of the house of this prostitute. But God's spirit is still in his life, and God infuses him with energy, and he picks up these massive city gates, and the Philistines decide they don't want any of Samson that night. You know what? When you and I start developing an appetite for the unhealthy, We can think for a while, I'm handling this just fine. But there will be a point where it will start handling us. It's like the old song, you know, when I was young, making love was just for fun. Well, you know, when he was thinking about marrying this woman, he just wanted to get into a relationship with her. But he was trying to do the God thing, too. But he wasn't really serious about it. And obviously, he wasn't serious about the relationship when he went into the house of this hooker. He was just paying money for her time. But Samson now has messed around so long that all of a sudden, his emotions are getting into it. And he actually falls in love with a Philistine woman named Delilah. What he doesn't know is that the Philistines have come to Delilah with their big checkbook and says, listen, they said to her, we don't know what this guy's all about. We don't understand why he's winning all these huge victories. He doesn't look any different from us. What's his secret? If you find out what his mojo is, if you find out what his secret is, we will write you a huge check. And Delilah's saying, I'm all about that. Samson doesn't know that. He thinks Delilah's heart and soul for him. You know how things are. You know, he's at our house one night, fireplaces going, music going, on the stereo. And Delilah says, Samson, baby, you know what? You don't really love me. Oh, Samson says, I do, man. I'm just, I'm smitten. No, you don't love me. Lovers should trust each other. You got some kind of secret going. You do stuff that nobody can explain. Tell me what your secret is. If you love me, you'd tell me. 
Well, Samson's not overly bright, but he's a little bright. And he's realizing it's probably not the smartest thing to do to just let it out on the street what your secret is. So he lies to her. He said, well, I'll tell you what you do. If you go get bowstring and you bind me up, he said, I can't handle bowstring. If you'll just tie me up with bowstring, I'll be like everybody else. I'll be weak like anybody else. So the next morning when he wakes up, guess what? He's all tied up in bowstring. That would trouble me. (laughs) But when you're in love, isn't that true? When you're in love, you're not thinking straight. He wakes up the next morning and and she's messing with him. She's saying, the Philistines are here. They weren't, but she was just saying it. You know, he just snaps the things and she says, you lied to me. You lied to me. Uh, He comes back over her house the next day and they're talking and she's saying, Samson, baby, you you told me something wasn't true last night. You said it was bowstring. And please, if you love me, tell me me your secret. And he says, okay, you got to tie me up with new ropes that have never been used before. Brand new ropes. You know, if you'll tie me with new ropes, I'll be weak like everybody. He wakes up. Guess what? He's tied up with rope. Twice. It would really mess with me if if that happened to me. She says, Samson, the Philistines are here. He snaps the ropes. You lied to me, baby. You lied to me again. She asked him again, and now he's getting closer to the truth. He said, well, you know what? If you were to take my dreads, and if you were to weave them into the beam, I, 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 I would lose my power. Isn't it interesting he's gotten closer to the truth now? So she does. She weaves his dreads into the loom. She says, Samson, the Philistines are here. He jumps right up, and beam comes loose and everything. And I mean, that just sends Delilah into deep depression. Baby, I don't want to see you anymore. I, I just don't think there's any future for us. I don't know. It just, it's, it's me. I don't know. But there's just something I can't deal with, the fact that you've lied to me. And you've told me that something is true when it's not true. And you won't tell me the secret. I just really think we need to end it right now. I think I need to give you your ring back. I think we need to just stop seeing each other. It's not working. And finally, Samson says, all right. If you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. Time out. I grew up in church. I've listened to dozens of Sunday school teachers and Bible school teachers tell me this story. And you know what they all say? Samson's hair, Samson's strength was in his hair. So when his hair was cut off, he lost his strength. Could I tell you, I don't believe that for a moment. I mean, I know there was a message of truth there, but let me tell you what I think happened. His strength was not in his hair. The problem with Samson was he just flipped God off one too many times. I mean, isn't it amazing how merciful God is? I mean, he, he's sleeping with the enemy, and he wants to marry this woman, and God is still merciful to him. And then he goes to the hooker, and, and you would think God would give up on him, but God doesn't give up on him because God is merciful. I mean, time and time again, God has been merciful to Samson, but Samson just keeps playing and keeps pushing and keeps pushing and pushing. And I think what happened was he just flipped God off one too many times, and God said, that's all right, that's it. I'm letting him go. Well, Delilah said to the Philistines, I think he's told me the truth this time. And this time she actually had them there. And when he woke up, and this is so interesting, see, I don't think Samson thought his strength was in his hair. Because even when he woke up and he saw his hair had all been cut, he said, I'm going to go out like I always have, and I'm going to defeat them. But what the Bible says this, what he didn't know was that God's spirit had walked away. God is saying, I'm leaving the house. You're on your own, Samson. And they took Samson, they bound him up easily. And this is graphic, and I'm sorry, but I'm just telling you judges is this way. They took two red-hot pokers, 
or one, maybe one, I don't know, but they took a red-hot poker and they gouged his two eyes out. It was the last sight he saw. It was two poker, or a poker headed for his eyes. In those days, they ground, great with, uh, ground wheat rather, with a great stone. A millstone would be often four feet wide and about a foot thick. And that top stone was, was, uh, was on a post, and it was attached. they would attach it to a beast of burden, an ox. And they would whip that ox and make the ox go in a circle and grind the grain. They took Samson down to the grinding house. They loosened the bond from the animal, and they, they bound Samson up and whipped him. And for days and weeks, months, perhaps years of his life, Samson had to take that big grindstone around. And this is God's champion. This is God's terminator. This is the guy that God specially outfitted to do incredible things. And yet he spent the last part of his life grinding wheat as a beast of burden. Oh, there was one, one more part of Samson's life. After doing this for a long time, Samson was loosened from his chains. The Philistines were throwing a big party. It was this big building, probably three stories tall, with massive, with massive um, posts that supported the structure. They were drinking, having a good time, and after a while, one of the Philistine journals said, hey, let's get Samson over here and let's have some fun with him. Let's taunt him. And they bring Samson to this big party and they're making fun of him and they're laughing at him and jeering at him and Samson is being led around by a little boy and he says to this little boy take me over to the two beams that support the structure and the Bible says that Samson grasped the two beams that supported the structure and the spirit of God came on him one more time and he collapsed the building and he killed a lot of Philistines but that's how he lost his life freaking messed up. I think you'll see Samson in heaven. He's a God follower. God is loving and God is gracious. I believe when we get to heaven, we'll talk to him. But it's possible for God followers to be freaking messed up. I want to just take the few moments that I have left in this message, and I want to share with you the two things that I think got Samson off track. Number one, and this is huge, he developed unhealthy appetites. We're told today that your life is about choices, and technically that's true. People that get into a bad place will say, I made bad choices. People that are happy with their life will say, I made good choices. Or often we're talking about people that are, you know, that they're messed up. We'll say, well, that person just made bad choices. And here's where I think we're, we're, we're not completely clear. We sort of see choices happening in a climate of neutrality. We're standing at the crossroads. Here's a good choice. Here's a bad choice. Which one will I take? But that isn't how life works. There's something more fundamental than choices, and that's appetites. Because appetites drive choices. There are a lot of us who are overweight. We don't want to be overweight. We know that it's about making good choices, but the problem is we have appetites. And the appetites that we've developed cause us to make bad choices. Listen, I've spent most of my adult life trying to lose weight. And I'm gonna, this is more information about me than you want to know. When I graduated from high school, I weighed 150 pounds. When I graduated from college, I weighed 250. I went to a very sedentary lifestyle. I was working my way through college, and I was eating donuts in the morning. And I mean, I was just, my weight just ballooned up. And during that time, I developed some really unhealthy appetites. And I got to be honest, even to this day, when I walk into Dylan's, you know, the bluebell ice cream just calls out to me. 
I have developed an appetite for that. Interestingly, my oldest son, Jonathan, I was, he spoke for us the other day, and, 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 and he was on television because he did the last message of the Thrive series, and I was watching him on television. Jonathan is about that big around. He's never had a weight issue. See, and, and when I was about 24, 25 years old, I, I discovered Weight Watchers, and I lost a lot of weight, and for like 10 years, I just kept it off. I was very trim because during that time, I ate much better food. I made much better choices, and Jonathan was a baby during that time. He was a toddler, and he thought whatever was on my plate had to be phenomenal. Now, he's 28 years old. Do you know what splurging to him is? It's like getting a bunch of whitefish and squeezing lemon on it. He won't eat sweets. He doesn't eat, he doesn't eat sugary foods. I mean, in fact, my daughter-in-law, Wendy, was here this week and with my two granddaughters, and we were sitting and talking, and she was saying there's this vegetable soup, Campbell's vegetable soup that Jonathan likes, and she said it's so hard to find. There's only one store in their area of Oklahoma City that has it, and they have to drive to find this one soup, and, and Jonathan just loves it. I, and, and, and the moment she was telling me about this, my mind went back to a place when I was in a grocery store when I was about 25 or 26, and I was standing at the Campbell's soup rack, and I actually went through can after can after can to find out which was the lowest calorie soup, and that's why I chose it. And yet Jonathan developed an appetite for it. Can I ask you a question? What, are you developing good appetites or bad appetites? In Samson's case, what did he do? He developed an appetite for the wrong kind of relationship. He decided he liked Philistine women. Now, the enemy always exploited his appetites, but he said, I like, I like Philistine women. See, some of us have developed appetites for unhealthy relationships. With us, like Samson, it's the people that we date. And we've gotten, and see, here's the deal. A lot of times, people who date the wrong kind of people, they know that that person is dangerous to their lives, but wow, they introduce the wow factor, you know? I know I'm dating a guy that's crazy, somebody could say, but you know what? I, he's just, I don't know, he's just interesting. You know, I'm dating this gal, and, and man, she has a totally different value system than I have, and she lives her life a whole different way, but she's hot. For others of us, we can develop an unhealthy appetite for the wrong kind of friends. We know they don't take us the right direction. And like Samson, we got one foot in, you know, following God and one foot with them. And one time we're trying to do the right thing. And next thing you know, we're hanging with our friends and we're doing stuff that we're embarrassed to do. But after all, we've cultivated an appetite for the wrong kind of friends. For some of us, it's the wrong kind of business partners. Hey, we, we've heard this person's not ethical, but you know what? He makes money. And next thing you know, financially, we're in bed with this person that has a whole different kind of value system. Samson developed an appetite for the wrong kind of relationships. For some of us, we've developed appetites for substances that aren't healthy for us. For others of us, we've developed appetites for thinking. I mean, we've discovered that we have an appetite for self-pity or for anger. First problem with Samson, he developed an appetite for the unhealthy. Number two, he wouldn't listen. I've got to be honest with you. There have been times in my life when I think I could use the expression freaking messed up. There have been times in my life where I got off into complexity and I thought, how did I get here? And you know what, what's interesting is almost always there was somebody in my life that tried to tell me not to do that. You know, Mary Alice said, Mark, I don't think that's the smartest thing in the world. My parents were saying, Mark, that's just not a smart idea. 
Listen, Samson, this is the very first time. You remember when he was d- dating this woman that he was going to marry? His parents began to talk to Samson, and, and they, they, they made this point to him. Um, let me get to it here. This is in Judges chapter 14. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Now, did you notice how that the, the dad was giving Samson reasons? Samson is not a smart. Why are you sleeping with the enemy? Why are you forging this relationship with somebody that doesn't have your value system? After all, there are girls around you that have the same beliefs that you have, and you could marry one of those. And Samson's just saying, hey, you know what? I want her. She's hot. I want her. That's all. That's end of story. See, that was Samson's issue. He developed an appetite for the unhealthy, and he wouldn't listen. Well, I've got to stop now. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this. But for somebody here today who would say, Mark, help me. Help me, help me know where to go right now. If I've caught you this morning and you're freaking messed up, could I, could I just say this? Remember two things. Number one, take responsibility and shift control to God. What do I mean by take responsibility? See, when I say take responsibility and shift control, that's the very opposite of what we're told culturally. The culture says shift responsibility and take control. Because if you're not happy with where your life is right now, it can't be anything that's your fault. It's got to be your mom or dad. Find out how your mom or dad messed up your life. Shift responsibility to them and say, it's not my fault. And the teachers that I had when I was in school, they didn't like me. They, they had other people, that, other kids that they liked, but they didn't like me. And the people that work, man, my boss just has it in for me, and there's people trying to get my job. It's not my fault. Okay. There will be parts of the dysfunction in your life that are other people's faults. But here's the deal. Taking responsibility says, okay, I'm standing at the crossroads here today, and I'm not going to lose another day messed up. I'm going to do something about my life right now. And then here's what you need to do. Take your life and turn it over to God. Now, that sounds metaphorical. Let me, do, let me give that to you in practical terms. Start listening to what God has to say about a life. Because and, and, here's the thing. I mean, you've got a book here, God's Word, the Bible, that gives you all kinds of counsel. I would just, if you're looking for counsel today, how to live your life, just go home and open up the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and listen to Jesus in chapters 5, 6, and 7, in that great, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks to us about how to be happy and how to live your life and all kinds of practical advice. I mean, this is God's Word. Just start listening to God. And that's what you're doing here at New Spring here today, too. You're, you're worshiping, and you're hearing you're hearing us talk about what God has to say. And then there's prayer. Prayer is asking for directions. This last text, and I'll be through. Jeremiah was talking to a group of people that were freaking messed up. And God sent a message to them. It says, go stand in the crossroads and look around. Ask for directions to the old road, the, the tried and true road, then take it. Discover the right route for your souls. Discover the right path. 
I could be talking to somebody here today and you're saying, Mark, I've just gone down so many wrong roads and so many bad turns and bad choices. The complexity is just eating me up. I don't think there's any way out. You would be surprised if you would just open up your life to God and say, God, I'm messed up. Help me. Help me. Would you be open to that today? Pray with me, please, for a moment. God, I call out to you for all of us today. Lord, for those who feel like there's so much complexity and so much wrong choice that they can never find their way home, help them to know that you love them and if they're willing to seek you with all their hearts, that you will answer. Teach us during this series, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just pray with you a little bit more here today. What God wants from you more than anything else is to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to have an intimate, so intimate relationship with you that God actually begins to move into your life. And he's promised that he would do that for anyone who would turn from their old way of living and invite Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. See, what keeps us separated from God is the wrong things that we do. But God sent his son Jesus into the world to actually pay for all of our wrongs. That's why we have a cross as a symbol, because it was on that cross that Jesus died that he paid for all your sins that opened the way for us to have a relationship with God. And Scripture says this, anyone who believes on Jesus, anyone who accepts him as Savior and Lord, God washes their sins away, and he gives them eternal relationship with him. Would you be open to inviting him into your life today? I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. But they're words that call out to God, and if you mean them from your heart, if you mean them seriously, God will listen to your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me today, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a packet with some DVDs and great information to help you get started following Jesus. When you came in today, you got a worship guide. Part of it is detachable. If you would just detach the card, you can see a picture of the little packet I just told you about. If you would just put your name and address on there and just check the box. There are other boxes you can check for other things. But if you could just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. You can drop it in the offering bag, and I'll mail it to you this week. I know we're very crowded, but if you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to point right behind the camera operators, right out into the lobby, through the middle. There are two areas called Guest Services and New Springs Store, just straight out there. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, you can just bring the card back. They won't hassle you or bother you in any way. Just say, I pray with Mark, and give them the card. They'll give you this, and you take it with you today.